everyone's asking big questions at the moment. So over the coming weeks, we're asking why. And today I'm asking why are Christians such hypocrites? Now, I know this is a minefield. Jesus said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that's step one. And while there's hypocrites everywhere, as we've seen institutions and people brought to justice, including the church, the question remains, why are Christians such hypocrites? If you're asking this from a place of hurt, I'm so sorry. By far, the people that have hurt me the most are Christians. Christians will let you down. Each of us, every human, we hurt each other and Christians are not immune. But then there's the specific sins of the church that are pretty glaring. Whether it's the pastor that has affairs or the Christians who speak with such conviction and they bang on about personal morality. Yet their moral code seems to care nothing for the poor, the very priority of Jesus. And their weird moral code doesn't care about racial justice or equality, even though Jesus came for those very things. They seem to care about character and leadership right up until it's convenient not to and seem never have learnt how to smile or laugh. Not much like Jesus. Or the, the Christians you hear on the radio. Even the Radio 4 Today programme presenters have said this about the thought for the day slot. They all say roughly the same. If everyone were nicer to everyone else, it would be fine. They've also described the segment as deeply, deeply boring. I mean, it's quite the achievement, isn't it? Clerics sending you to, to sleep in a monotone drone when the person of Jesus is exciting and life-changing. Christian leaders speaking about every cause under the sun, yet they, they rarely mention Jesus, and when once in a blue moon they actually do, it's only as a bit of an afterthought. Why are Christians such hypocrites? Whether it's having compassion yet lacking conviction, or conviction yet lacking compassion, highly selective in their particular brand of Christianity. So... Can I ask you to have a little compassion for Christians? I mean, don't feel sorry for us, but, but the church is not a museum of perfect statues. And if you put Christians up on a pedestal, if you ask them to be perfect people, then you're just asking to be lied to. Stephen Fry said that a halo is just another thing to keep clean. Another thing to keep clean is not a halo, but a mask. That's the word that Jesus uses for the hypocrite, the, the actors of his day that would wear masks. It's this disconnect between the reality and the image. It's the audacity to, to make bold claims about yourself, but not walk the talk. Jesus himself, of, of course, didn't wear a mask. And yet he actually claimed to be perfect. At a religious festival in the temple, we, we read in John 7.37, that on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus, he stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. These are bold claims. Jesus, as, as faultlessly humble as he is, spoke with great conviction about himself and what he is able to do. The religious leaders didn't love him for it. Because on the very next day, on the Sabbath, the day of rest, 
we find Jesus again in the temple courts, there in John chapter 8. And he's teaching, and in come the teachers of, of the law and the Pharisees in verse 3. And they're dragging in this woman to stand before Jesus. And they, they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. But can you imagine what this woman is feeling? Surrounded by men ready to stone her. And, and where's the man? You know, the invisible man from the act of adultery. Maybe even in the back of the crowd. The men who are about to stone her have conveniently forgotten that the law they're referring to calls for the stoning of both the woman and the man. Why are religious people such hypocrites? If you picture the scene, the, the temple was about 35 acres. And here in the courts, it's like a cloister. And we know that from other historical documents that the Roman guards will be closely watching everything that's going on. So, when the religious people we see in verse 3 bring this woman before Jesus, they are trying to make a spectacle, to cause commotion for the Romans to come down heavy on. So they say in verse 5, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, Jesus, what do you say? And we read that, that John writes that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. They want to trap him. Because if Jesus says stone her, well, the Romans don't technically let them do this. It's illegal. Or if Jesus says don't stone her, well, then he'd be accused before the Sanhedrin that he spoke against the Mosaic law. It's a, it's a catch-22. You know, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and there will be an uproar and you'll be responsible and you will be caught. This is the, is the spirit of our age, isn't it? And don't you dare say or do the wrong thing. It's so sanctimonious. Tried in the court of public opinion. And it was the same back then. Have you ever caught yourself saying, well, so-and-so, they should be ashamed of themselves? Or thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. The other day I was uh, waiting for the butchers and I was jotting down some thoughts for speaking to you today on this very point. And then someone jumped the extremely long queue and just walked right in. And I felt this thing rise up within me. I think if we're being honest, we can identify ourselves with the crowd. But Jesus, he doesn't rise up in anger. Have a look at verse 6 that Jesus, he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Perhaps he is writing what the punishment is, what the punishment is for adultery. But then, in verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This mob might be looking for safety in numbers, but Jesus, he is speaking directly into each of their individual hearts. Because any sin, great or small, it is a sin against God, and Jesus, he will not indulge their hypocrisy. And as Jesus, in verse 8, stoops down to write in the ground again, the men begin to disappear, the older ones first. The younger and more impressionable men, they would look to the older men for their cues. And the older men know that the longer you live life, the more you become aware of your flaws, of your sinfulness. And so the, the condemning people disappear. And then there were two, Jesus and the woman. 
In verse 10, Jesus, he straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then she replies, No one, sir. Then Jesus says to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. Even though she has messed up big time. Jesus, he is totally against adultery. He hates the the pain and the destruction it causes to people's lives and relationships. Jesus, he has every right to say, you have broken my law. After all, it was God's hand that wrote in stone, do not commit adultery. But in this account, we see Jesus' hand writing down in the dust, down in the dust of her life. Jesus is not trying to trap her. This Jesus, who has never harboured bitterness in his heart, he's never held a grudge. He is not sanctimonious. He is not speaking from a high horse. He is not looking down on her. She's standing there, all alone, but Jesus, he, he lowers himself down, just as he has lowered himself down from heaven to earth for each one of us. And this woman, she is at her lowest point, socially, morally, and emotionally. It can't get any worse than this. And Jesus, he he sees a, a frail and a frightened girl, and he loves her with all of the love in the universe. And in this single moment of interaction with Jesus, she is set free from judgment, from sin, and from mess. Jesus says elsewhere that he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And here he's doing exactly that. He's saving her, saving her from stoning, not condemning her. And she knows that Jesus is diverting the shame, the condemnation, the the pain away from her onto him. She knows that the men might be skulking off now, but that this will only embolden their resolve against Jesus. And they will come back after him even more ferociously next time. But Jesus, he, he sees all things. He, he sees the hypocrisy. He sees all the ways that we have messed up, that we mess up today and that we, the ways that we will mess up. And, and Jesus, he sees the judgment coming towards you. And even though it will cost him everything, He will not sit idly by. Jesus, he does not mask her sin. He does not overlook her sin. He forgives her sin. He forgives sin because he has paid the price. God is a God of justice and all the small and big ways that we hurt others, we hurt God. They must be accounted for. Jesus, he is the only one who can meet your need for justice and your yearning for mercy. He does not condone your sin, but he will not condemn you. In verse 11, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But the story doesn't end there. What else does he say? Go now and leave your life of sin, cause and effect. And Jesus, he speaks to her with, with total grace and total truth. Christians, they often reduce the gospel by missing out on the truth or missing out on the grace. Christians of conviction that are condemning or Christians of compassion that are complacent and compromising. But Jesus' blend of conviction and compassion is compelling. To Jesus, holiness is, is not just a command, but a promise. Go and leave your life of sin. 
he speaks it over you as a blessing and with a smile. That the, the cross deals with the penalty of sin and the power of sin. This is the power of the cross. That Jesus, he wants to break the cycle of destruction. He wants to pour out his spirit on you, not just to write on tablets of stone, but in the dust of your life with God-shaped desires, a new ability to become like Jesus. And he will recalibrate you. He will redirect you to live in a new way, clothed in the, in the bubbling, radiant, irresistible holiness of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the reason the men were holding stones was because they had, they had hearts of stone. The hypocrisy that we see in others, we see in ourselves, it, it hardens us to God, to the world, even to ourselves. And the way that your heart gets melted, the way that your life changes from the inside out is, is when you see that Jesus takes the hit for you. And that's what this woman sees when she sees Jesus face to face. This, this man that does not categorise her. He does not write her off because of her sin or, or group her based on her gender. Because she is not a hypothetical legal conundrum. She is not a problem to fix, but a person to love. And Jesus too is a person to know and to love. The most amazing person actually to know and love. And he pays the price for her and for us. But this is not just a transaction, but a relationship. Because like this woman, you too can have an encounter with Jesus and he will come face to face with the truth of your life and he sees you to the depths of your soul and yet he loves you to the heights of the heavens. And he may see through you, but he sees you and he wants to know you. So take off the mask, give up the act. The show must not go on. It's time to know and to be known. Yes, we fail to, to live up to the standards that we set for ourselves and we set for others. And, and that is deeply disappointing. But Jesus, he will always forgive you. Do Christians practice what we preach? Well, we do not preach piety or perfect performance. We preach the person of Jesus Christ who died for this woman. He died for you. And he died for me. Your thirst for, for justice. Your thirst for the truth. Your thirst for forgiveness. Your thirst for a new way to live. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Believe in me and rivers of living water will flow from within you. Whether or not you would call yourself a Christian. A follower of Jesus. Are you thirsty? Let the, the soul-quenching, life-changing holiness of Jesus Christ fill you and flow through you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're thirsty, if you'd like to meet Jesus, to ask him to be your Lord, to, to meet you with the truth of your life, with total grace, I'd love to lead you in a, in a short prayer. It's simply saying, sorry, thank you, and please. You might like to follow as I lead. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for living my life independently of you. And thank you 
thank you that you came and died for me on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. And I receive now your forgiveness. And please, please come now by your Holy Spirit and fill me with your life. Would you change me from the inside out and live with me forever? Amen.